something backstage, so while I'm doing that, I'm going to ask you to stand, turn to your neighbor, and tell them about your real neighbor, the person who lives next door to you, all right? So turn to your, stand, turn to your neighbor, and tell your neighbor about your neighbor. All right, everybody, you may have a seat. We are going to get right to this today. Uh, so we're going to be looking at a familiar parable. A parable is a story that illustrates a point. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, which means I'd really love it if you would turn in your Bibles, because sometimes I say, turn in your Bibles, and I see a bunch of people look at me and go, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I would really appreciate it if you would take out a phone or take that Bible near you and actually look at the text that we're going to be looking at today. All right? We're going to be looking at this this parable three different ways. The first way is the way it's written, and then I'm going I'm to contextualize it in two different ways. So the context here is that a lawyer-like guy, an expert in the law, comes up to Jesus, and he, he wants to put Jesus on the spot, and he says, teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Hmm, that's a really good question, isn't it? That is a question that I think all of us would love to sit down with Jesus and ask, okay, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you think about it, uh, most of the times what we are thinking is, how do I get to heaven when I die? Is that the question this person is asking? Well, I would like to say it's not not the question, but it's more than that. For a first century Jewish person, and even all throughout the ancient history of Israel, when they thought of everlasting life, they were thinking about that time, they were talking about thinking of the age to come, that time when the Messiah would come and usher in the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, that time when God would restore ancient Israel. And, and God, that time when uh, God would usher in that kingdom of shalom, the kingdom of peace. In fact, a lot of uh, Jews today, if you say, uh, why don't you believe Jesus is the Messiah? They will say, well, where's the shalom? Where's the peace? That's a, diff- a topic for a different sermon. Uh, but they, that's what they were waiting for. And the kingdom of God ushered in by the, by the Messiah would have no end. Okay? That's why it's everlasting. So he's essentially asking, how do I get in, Jesus, on the rule and reign of God that has no end, everlasting, eternal life? So Jesus responds to the question with a question, like any good teacher. He says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? 
So this expert in the law of Moses, which is essentially Torah, which is like the first five books of our Bible, and to nutshell it, um, he responds, well, he responds to two passages, one from Deuteronomy, one from Leviticus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But then this expert in the law, he wants some clarification, which I think any of us, we would want clarification. Maybe, and this was a big maybe, but maybe we can kind of wrap our brains around, okay, what does it mean to love God? Okay, I think I'm kind of moving on that and getting that right. But if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, it's going to be very important for me to discern who's my neighbor, right? He wants to justify himself. He wants to make sure he's doing the right thing. He's dotting his I's, crossing his T's when it comes to loving his neighbor. So, question for us. Who's our neighbor? Who's your neighbor? I'll show you some pictures. Is this your neighbor? How about this person? Is this person your neighbor? How about this person? Is this person your neighbor? How about this person? I like to bring that up, and people always kind of chuckle nervously, uh, but I like to bring up these political uh, images often because so often Christians think it's totally okay to yell and scream at people made in the image of God with whom they disagree politically. And actually, that's not okay. Disciples don't do that. Right? Right. All right, so who's my neighbor, church? And so Jesus, he launches into a story, and it goes like this. A man was going away down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Pause. It, with your brain, I want you to uh, circle the brain half dead. First of all, we know that this person is hurting, but they've been left half dead. Why did Jesus say half dead? Well, he's half dead because anything in, in that time, in that culture, anything that was half dead or dead was ceremonially unclean. So it's very important that Jesus notices, uh, notes that this person is half dead, which means he was not to be touched. He was not to be gone near because then you would be ceremonially unclean. So who happens by? Bum, 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 bum. A priest. This is not a Catholic priest. This is a Jewish priest from the temple going from Jerusalem to Jericho. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, the half-dead man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, another Jewish holy person, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now we might think, well, that's horrible. I mean, come on, somebody help this guy out. He's half dead. But for Jesus' listeners, these two Jewish holy men were actually acting according to the way they interpreted the law. The guy was half dead. He was unclean. It was an act of holiness not to touch him. They were acting according to the letter of the law. But, of course, Jesus is interested in the heart of the law. So he challenges them. He says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Now let's stop there. A Samaritan. 
Hmm, why did Jesus choose Samaritan? Let's ask this question. Whom do you despise? Whom do you despise? We, we're going to make a list, all right? I'll answer for you because we despise all kinds of people, right? I mean, deep down, we struggle. We're not perfect. I know we all want to love everyone, but deep down, we despise certain people. So, let's say um, we despise, let's easily put um, our enemies. Okay, that's, that's easy. We despise our enemies. Uh, some people despise white people. Some people despise brown people. Some people despise uh, LGBTQ plus people. Some people despise Democrats. Some people despise Republicans. Some people despise, let's see, are we missing anyone? Oh, Muslims? Some people despise Christians. And we'll just put you fill in the blank, all right? Whatever group of people you despise. Jesus has done something Pretty amazing in this little storytelling parable. Uh, he has chosen someone his listeners despised, a Samaritan. The despised Samaritan were for first century Jews. They were at the top of the dog list. They were a people group that Jews despised. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, the Jewish man who had been beaten up, and when he saw him, him being half dead, left for dead, unclean, the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan, took pity on this Jewish person. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him, which means he touched the unclean. Who's unclean in your world then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, in my research, one scholar noted this is probably about a 12-mile journey. So the, Samarit the despised Samaritan took his enemy, so to speak, and put him on the donkey and then walked with him 12 miles, about from here to Richfield by foot. And uh, the next day, which means he spent the night most likely, uh, near his enemy at least. He took out two denarii. A denarius uh, was about a ways wages, so two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra uh, expense you may have, which means, if you think about it, the, the Samaritan um, gave two days' wages and tried to care for and tried to bring restoration, tried to bring help, tried, tried to, to, to take care of this person. He'd lost a lot. This Samaritan, this despised Samaritan, is seeking to give him back some of what he has lost, of course. Verse 36, Jesus says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? 
The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You want to inherit eternal life? You want to get in on the way the king does things forever? Go and show mercy and receive mercy to those whom you might despise. Version 2 of this parable. So, uh, this modern American you sees Jesus at a coffee shop. And you think, well, I'd really like to ask Jesus a question. So you, you buy a latte, you, you sit down next to Jesus, and you say, uh, excuse me, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A fair question. I think all of us, if we had the opportunity, would like to sit down next to Jesus and ask him that type of, that type of question. So this modern American you responds the way any good American Bible smart person like yourself would you quote the Bible. You take a passage from Deuteronomy and a passage from Leviticus, and you say, uh, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, right, good job. Do this, and you will live. But this modern American you would like to justify yourself. You want to make sure you're dotting your I's and you're crossing your T's, and you're like, okay, Jesus, just time out. Could you help me out? Just to, so I don't miss anything, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells you a story. Imagine you're walking down the street in Minneapolis one day, and you're attacked by robbers. But not just any robbers. These thieves not only want your money, they want to humiliate you. They strip you of your clothes. They beat you. And then to assure your humiliation, they each take out a sharpie pen. And the leader puts a gun to your head. And the leader says, it's confession time. Tell us your sins, the deepest, the darkest, the secrets you keep. You plead for mercy, but they refuse. Tell us your sins, they demand. Fearing for your life, you do. And you confess every sin that comes to your mind, even the deep, dark, secret ones. And what they do is, on your naked body, they take and they start writing your sins all over your naked body. You are left humiliated, naked, half dead. By chance, a Christian pastor comes along. He sees you lying, half dead and motionless in the alley. The pastor approaches you, my child... What is wrong? But then seeing your sins written all over you, he crosses over to the other side of the alley. Soon after, a church elder walks by. When she sees you half dead and lying in the gutter, she too approaches you. My child, what has happened to you? But when she too sees the sins covering your body, she too crosses to the other side of the alley. But then a despised you fill in the blank. Whoever is despised in your book, they come along. And when they see you, your despised enemy has pity on you. Kneeling beside you, the despised, you fill in the blank, picks you up in their arms and comforts you. They put you in their car. They drive you to a hospital. They check you in and stay all night by your bedside because they want to remind you that you are loved. 
So Jesus says to you, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to you? You reply, well, the one who showed mercy. So Jesus says, okay, you want to get in on eternal life? Go and do likewise. That's the way life works in my kingdom forevermore. Third version of this parable. Flip it around one more time, shall we? Imagine your worst enemy is walking down the street in Minneapolis, and they are attacked by robbers, but not just any robbers. These thieves not only want uh, to steal your, your, your worst enemy's money, these thieves want to humiliate your enemy. Some cosmic something has happened, and they are working on your behalf to inflict pain and humiliation upon your enemy. And they each take out a Sharpie pen, and then the leader puts a gun to your enemy's head. It's confession time, he says. Tell us your sins, the deepest, the darkest, the secrets you keep. Tell us everything you did to hurt you. Your enemy pleads for mercy, but they are shown none. Fearing death, your enemy confesses each secret sin, especially the ones they committed against you. The thieves laugh as they write each sin on your enemy's body, and there they leave your enemy naked, humiliated, half dead. And then by chance... You come along. Hmm, you're a compassionate person. You see this figure in the distance lying on the ground, so you run to their aid, but upon seeing who it is, your enemy, you get up and you cross to the other side of the alley, but you stop yourself. Yes, this person you despise. Yes, this person hurt you. They might even deserve the beating they've received but you turn around and you walk slowly back to their side. You bend over to read the words written on your enemy's body, and there written for all to see are the sins they committed against you. You're sick to your stomach. You want to throw up. You get up. You cross to the other side of the alley. You continue to walk on. But you stop yourself. Why? Why would you stop? Because you're an apprentice of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. You've committed your life to an allegiance, a loyalty, the one who gave himself for you. The Spirit of Christ alive in you compels you to return to your half-dead enemy. You kneel, beside, you kneel beside them, you pick them up, you take your enemy into your arms, and in the manner of your king, you say, Father, forgive them. They did not know what they were doing. You take your enemy, you put them in the car, you take them to the hospital, you check them in, you stay the night with your enemy, gently washing off the sharpie-written sins in the manner of your king. So, who are the disciples of Jesus Christ? 
they are the ones who show mercy to those they love and those they struggle loving. Therefore, go and do likewise. Let's pause there for Q&A. I'm going to invite Tone and Nate up. If you're new to Faith Covenant Church, we do Q&A quite a bit. All three of us, no, Tone and I reserve the right to be wrong. Nate will not be wrong. Is he gone? He'll be here. He's, all right. He's popping in. Here, there he is. There he is. so tall. So easy to see. Here you go. Nate, how you doing? Good. Good. Uh, you added some despised people. I did. From last week. I did, yeah. Uh, uh, Nate, when we talked about this message earlier in the week, you shared a story with me uh, that I thought, uh, you and I talked how this, this would be an, a relevant story uh, to our topic here. So would you please share, us, share with us that story? So when I think about the Good Samaritan, and what it looks like to love your enemies. I think about some missionaries in Nigeria that I've had a, the privilege to meet, uh, some Wycliffe Nigeria uh, missionaries. Uh, the gentleman's name is Mark, and he's kind of surrounded by these young guys that are all passionate about reaching out to unreached Fulani Muslims in their area. And these are, these are the people that will get them killed uh, if they don't like what they're saying. But they'll get into a, a van and go out far into the bush and uh, bring solar-powered audio Bibles with about 70 hours of teaching and Bible and worship music in the Fulani language for full day, and they will just um, give these Bibles out to people. And these Fulani people will strap these audio Bibles on their hats so that they get charged while they're out there with their cows. And they will just listen to these stories about Jesus. And they'll just spontaneously come to the Lord. It's amazing. And, you know, they go back and they start kind of quizzing them on theology. And they've got these amazing theologies, impeccable theology, because they're just reading the Word, completely uh, isolated from the rest of the global church. It's like an Acts 2 movement happening. So 500 of these Fulani in a cluster of villages uh, out in the bush, northern Nigeria, all come to the Lord, and they start this uh, community of uh, Jesus followers meeting in church, uh, worshiping the Lord. Boko Haram gets hold of what they're doing, comes and burns down their village, chases uh, all these Christians out of the village, and the Christians, mostly women and children, are out on the run. Boko Haram catches 72 of them and holds them in internment for three days. And during that time, they bring the leader of the Christians up and they say, turn back to Islam or we are going to kill you. They have their AK-47 there. And the leader says, you know, there is nothing that Islam can give me that Jesus doesn't give me. Jesus has given me hope and life. And even if you pull the trigger, I'm not going to turn my back on Jesus. So they do. They kill him. They bring up the next in command, and they said, how about you? Will you turn back to Islam and deny Jesus? And he says, there's nothing that Islam can give me that Jesus has not given me. And even if I die, you know, it's worth following Jesus. And they pull the trigger. 
They bring up one of the women and say, we know that you won't turn your back on Jesus, but if we torture your children in front of you, surely you will turn away from Christianity and come back to Islam. The women get together and said, we need to get, tell them what they want to hear. We, in our hearts, we won't deny Jesus, but with our mouths, we will. And so they go to the leader, but at that moment, they see someone they don't recognize appear in the, in the bushes. And uh, this man comes over to the women and says, I'm Jesus. Don't turn your back on me. Don't deny my name, and I will take care of you. At that moment, nobody had eaten for three days. The children were crying, hungry, thirsty. All, all the children stopped crying. Everybody was at peace. Nobody felt any hunger from that moment on. And over the next three days, Jesus kept appearing to the women and the children, comforting them, speaking to them. Go ahead and put up that slide. Um, This is a a group uh, from northern Ghana, just so you know what the Fulani look like. And go on to the next slide. This is a group of the men that we met with in Ghana back in 2015. And notice the only people smiling in that picture are the Christians. All the Muslims are not smiling. Um, But... uh, so these, these women are held in internment uh, for three days. After three days, uh, one of the terrorists begins running around the camp saying, there's snakes, there's snakes, run, there's snakes. And he falls dead at the feet of one of the women. Another terrorist says, yeah, there's snakes, let's get out of here, let's run, there's snakes. And, and this terrorist, who's the leader of the group, falls dead at the feet of the women and the children. At that point, all the terrorists scatter and the Christians are free. So they start hiking down through the bush to the main road, find someone with a phone, call my friend Mark um, back in the main city, uh, said, told him the story. They sent buses out, just emergency, called, called in buses, sent them out to pick up these Fulani Christians. They're now living in secret, um, in, a, in a secret camp where they can't be found, but they are worshiping Jesus, and, and they say it's like an Acts 2 community there, uh, and the Lord is giving them a burning passion to go back to their people, go back to the people that persecuted them and bring the gospel to them because they're no longer afraid of death. Um, they, they brought one of the leaders into the, into the missionary's office, a Wycliffe missionary. They had a flip book of pictures. They said, if you knew Jesus, if you saw Jesus again, would you recognize him? They said, we would never forget his face. So they started flipping through the book. They said, no, not that one, not that one. Stop. That's him. That's Jesus. And uh, go to the next slide. That's the picture that they pointed out. And interestingly, a couple other just corroborating stories of people coming to the Lord through dreams and visions. And consistently, they, they pointed out that picture. I thought that was just really interesting and fun. Um, but it's amazing. When I, you know, when I think about the, the Good Samaritan and people who are laying their lives on the line to reach their enemies, I think about these Fulani. I think about these missionaries. And I think about so many of my friends in Nigeria, Africa, India, who are just laying down their lives to reach the people that hate them. So, Thank you, Nate. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Praise God. All right. So we have a few here. This is very different from last service. Okay. Uh, how do we befriend and show mercy to those Christians who do not show mercy to those who they struggle loving? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so how, do, how do we show mercy upon people who aren't showing mercy, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Um, I don't know that it's a whole lot different. I think um, 
I think we have to recognize every, every, every one of us has blind spots, um, and the, the Lord, through His Spirit and through His Word, is, uh, He continues to help us see what we're not seeing. And so, hopefully, led by the Spirit, um, you, as a brother or sister in Christ with someone who's struggling with mercy, can come alongside them and, through your mercy for their sins, <laughs> show them maybe how they might receive mercy, uh, give mercy to, to others. Um, but I don't, and, and clearly you want to do this uh, in prayer as well. Um, but I, I don't think, you know, it's kind of, I love this, the, the, I like this um, explanation for biblical justice. Biblical justice is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. And so if you seek to give your brother or sister in Christ what they deserve because they have a blind spot, that's probably not going to be helpful. If you, help to, if, if you give them what they need, which is mercy, which is grace, um, and then truth with that, then um, hopefully they'll be, they'll be restored in, in that sin. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. Can I just add to just the word says his kindness leads us to repentance. Mm, good. I think his yeah. kindness also leads us to forgiveness, experiencing the kindness of the Lord. So oftentimes when I have, a, I, and I have somebody like that in my life right now who's struggling to forgive, and I just pray unmitigated, un, unconditional blessing on them. Lord, would you give them the blessing and the favor of having children and children's children who know you and who follow you? Would you just open the doors of provision in their life and allow them to see your kindness and your mercy in their life? Mm, it's good. Thanks, Nate. This is another different one. Um, if our world is small enough not to interact with our enemies, do you recommend we seek them out even if they have hurt us in the past? I think you, first of all, you have to be prayerful and you have to be led by the Spirit and, and respond to the Spirit's call. So... You know, if your enemy is far away and um, the Lord calls you to somehow, you know, so the Lord puts this person on your heart, um, then you need to respond to that call. I think prayerfully, it's important that we continue to pray and know so we know when. Um, because sometimes uh, those who uh, have been hurt, uh, those who hurt, hurt <laughs> so often. Um, and, and they may not have ears to hear at a particular time, but maybe there, there might come another time when they might have ears to hear. So you want to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit as to um, how to interact with them. I don't think it's the Lord's will. Um, you know, I don't think it's the Lord's will for you to be a doormat. I don't think uh, it is the Lord's will that... Um, if someone's hurt you, it's, and Nate said something in the first service, it's, it's um, okay to recognize that hurt as something that is sinful. You know, if, some, if someone sinned against you, Jesus isn't saying, you know, turn a blind eye to that sin. It's just that we want to forgive that which has been hurtful. And moving through that needs, is, takes the leadership of the Spirit. Uh, this one is similar to one we had before. How can you love or help your enemies when your enemies have hurt you so badly that it's hard to even forgive them or to interact with them? You want to take that, Nate? 
Sure, I'll, I'll just kind of repeat what I said in the first service, which is just that, um, you know, for me, it's, it's part of my, my rhythm of uh, spiritual discipline to ask, Lord, is there anyone that I need to forgive? And just uh, write down names that come to mind. Two people came down, came to mind this morning. Lord, is there anyone I need to forgive? And then just what I've started doing, even the last couple of days, is saying, Lord, I, I don't excuse them in terms of, like, not recognizing what they did, saying it's no big deal. I don't say that. It was a big deal, but I forgive them because of the resources you've, uh, you've given me. And, it, you know, because of the love that he's poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit living in us, we do, whether we feel it or not, we do actually have the resources to offer what Jesus has given us, which is, which is that forgiveness. But I would just say, if you're really struggling to forgive somebody uh, who's done something very heinous and bad to you, and we do, we do a lot of work similar to this in trauma healing, is, uh, is there somebody you can forgive? It may be somebody who's done something much less bad to you, because oftentimes loosening those rocks, uh, the small rocks, will also loosen the big rocks mm. of unforgiveness. Um, and we can walk through that progressively. And the Lord is very kind and patient with us in our process. Very good. Thank you both. Why don't uh, we move toward closing here? Um, I'm, I'm going to pray, but I want to just note a couple things. As we continue our series, Let's Go, uh, next week, you all need to be here. I don't care what you have on your schedule, you have to be here. Um, I'm taking attendance. If you're, if you're not here, there's going to be detention. Uh, some of you are looking at me like, sorry, dude. Um, Next week, we start something called the Matthew 25 Challenge with World Vision, and I really would love for all of us to be here um, so you can get in on the ground floor of how to participate in this week of solidarity uh, with people who are in need. So I really invite you to come next week, bring your friends, bring your, bring your enemies. Um, second of all, uh, two of our saints uh, from the church uh, I've passed away recently. Uh, Barb Justice, uh, her service, uh, if her funeral service is happening this Friday at 11 a.m. There's a 10 o'clock visitation. We invite you to come to that. And then one of our charter members, uh, Donna Scovern, has recently passed away. We'll be getting information out about her service as well. Just two, two pillars of the church. We're so grateful for their lives and grateful they're there with the Lord. Um, all this is life-changing stuff. It actually pushes back the darkness, and the Holy Spirit of God has, part has invited us this morning through His Word and through His Spirit to participate in the movement of the kingdom in, in His reconciling work. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to close us in prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, grace-filled, loving Savior, Help us to renounce all barriers that prevent us from being Christ-like neighbors. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that we would never discriminate whether our neighbors are young or old, male or female, black or white, atheist, religious, beggars, rich. Lord, help us embrace the way you embrace. Give us, dear Lord, Christ-like hearts and minds. So we, so we may carry out your work according to your will and your ways. Save us from pride, greed, envy, and anger, so we might accept joyfully every person you set before us in the manner of our King. Let us seek to serve the poor, the sad, the angry, 
the hurt, remembering we have nothing except what you give and can do nothing except what you enable. We walk out of here now, Lord, enabled by your Spirit. We thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, if you're visiting with Hero Faith, Jill and I are going to be at the welcome tables just outside the door. We'd love to greet you, give you a free gift. Everyone have